Hey, John. Hey, what's up? Have you checked our portfolio, our brokerage portfolio recently? Oh, uh, the portfolio of all the, you know, the various companies that we use our massive amounts of uh, podcast proceeds to invest in? Yeah, so there's this one one spa, Devlin McGregor Pharmaceuticals. Oh, yeah, their new miracle drug. That's going to make us a fortune. But apparently, like, there's some doctors that are not on board with Provasic. Oh, bummer. Bummer. And we've we've tried to persuade them. Uh, we, we, we sent some, yeah, like, some pharmaceutical reps over to them. Yeah, we sent we sent them all the sexy ladies with the tiny suitcases. Uh-huh. We we tried to lure them in on our corporate retreats to subtly <sighs> slide money under the table. We did the corporate know. receipts like, retreats, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I don't know. I feel like it might we're out of luck. The stock is going to tank. I guess we got to murder them. Murder? Yeah, let's, uh, we should probably murder them. Uh, murder the doctor. Um, I think, I think that'd probably be the best. Who's, uh, get that doctor that we're friends with, you know, the, the one we like. Let's murder him. Um, uh-huh. you know, if it doesn't work out, uh, you know, if something goes wrong, you know, murder his wife, whatever. And, um, uh, you know, we'll frame him for that. And if that doesn't work out, um, let's try to be friendly with him, you know, so he doesn't suspect anything. Um, and let's help him out, uh, in a way that inadvertently leads him to foiling our own plot, um, really mm. for no reason. I don't know, just probably to surprise. Uh, uh, in case there was like some kind of audience that exists in another plane that was spectating our behavior, let's uh, mm-hmm. you know, we should do that because it will surprise them when if we are ever revealed, which I'm sure we won't be, we'll be fine. Wow, you really saw that uh, you really thought this through, man. Hey, I need this fucking miracle drug money. Toot toot. <laughs> <laughs> We had no ending for this. Just like the producers of the original, the studio executives of the original show, The Fugitive, did not have an ending planned, and they were just going to end the show after the fourth season without a reveal. And then, famously, the producers decided to actually put an ending where Dr. Richard Kimball and police officer Philip Gerard, not Sam Gerard, like in this mo- this movie, finally wow. caught Fred Johnson, not Fred Sykes, like in this movie, finally caught him, and up until the MASH finale, I believe it was one of the most watched TV shows of all time, thus creating the idea of the big series finale. Isn't that exciting? Wow, John, thank you for the little TV lesson. That was hey. great. That's about all the research I did for this episode, so let's see how the rest of it goes. Welcome to Box Office Time Machine. I'm John. 
I'm Veronica. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty, pretty darn good. I just watched The Fugitive, uh, one of my favorite action movies of all time. You know, I, I was sitting there. I was sitting there uh, uh, watching this movie. And um, uh, listeners may know, Veronica and I are big, big boxed heads, big, big letter boxers. Uh, yes. So I was sitting there deciding whether or not, having not watched this movie in about 10 years, was I going to give it a four and a half star? Um, which I give, uh, uh, which is my rating for nearly perfect movies. Um, or was I going to give it a five star, which is the ranking for movies that are personally, that not just excellent movies, they have entered my personal favorite list. They are movies that I love so dearly. They have transcended uh, the plane of film. And... and I'll probably give it a four and a half. I think the last half hour kind of drags a bit, but it's still mm. a fucking excellent movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. I gave it the full five stars. You're going to give it a full five stars? I already did. I rated oh. it before. I've seen this movie so many times. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe you could, maybe you can persuade me to bump it up a bit. Uh, in case you can't tell uh, from... You know, uh, looking at the title of this episode when you click play on it, we are discussing 1993's The Fugitive, starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones and so many actors in tiny roles. Neil Flynn comes on as a cop who gets shot instantly. Yeah, like Second City's <laughs> own Neil Flynn and Jane Lynch and all the best uh, Chicago actors they could scrounge up. Now, this movie is directed by uh, Andrew Davis. Uh, the movie is, of course, based on the 1963 TV series The Fugitive, which we discussed earlier. Andrew Davis mm -hmm. directed the movie Above the Law, starring Steven Seagal. And I am looking at it, and I am reading the Wikipedia synopsis of it. And Veronica, you and I, about two years ago... We watched a Steven Seagal movie for this podcast, and I am reading the Wikipedia synopsis of this movie, uh, the one that Andrew Davis directed, and I'll be honest, I cannot tell if it's the one we watched. Uh, it is not the one we watched. It is not. The one we watched was called Out for Justice. Right. Uh, but yeah, I feel like all Steven Seagal movies are basically the same movie. <laughs> How could and I? And he possibly... directed several Steven Seagal he did. movies. He, directed he also Under directed, Siege. yeah, Under Siege as well. How um, how could I possibly have confused the incredibly unique titles of Above the Law and Oh my God, I've already forgotten what you said. Something Justice. Out for Justice. Out for Justice. Three word titles, yada, yada, yada. But hey, this isn't one of our many podcast episodes where we talk about how awful Steven Skull is. We're talking <laughs> about The Fugitive. Veronica, what's your history with this movie? Um, I love this movie. I don't recall when it was that I saw it first. I assume it was either in high school or early college. Uh, and I immediately loved it. I, yeah, I think it's such a great, it's almost like 
a perfect action movie. Like everything makes sense, everything works, the characters are compelling, the dialogue is great. Uh, that now, in retrospect, I realize it's not that easy to do, having seen so many more movies. Mm -hmm. Um, I was also a very big fan of the movie Wrongfully Accused with Leslie Nielsen. I saw that in the theaters while on <laughs> vacation. Too. I saw that while on vacation with my family. We were in, I believe, Hilton Head Island in, is that South Carolina? Uh, I think it's South Carolina. But there was a torrential downpour one of the days and because I loved movies, I said, let's go to a movie. And I picked Wrongfully Accused. And I, I remember liking it. <laughs> I don't know that my I mean, family did. At the time, I would basically watch anything with Leslie Nielsen on it. I was such a big fan of The Naked Gun. Uh, so, yeah, I still, to be honest, there's se several scenes of The Fugitive that immediately remind me of scenes from a wrongfully accused that so now they have like an added comical element that I obviously was not intended uh but you know especially the scene in the beginning with the train derailment and the bus there's sort of a famous kind of scene in wrongfully accused of it do you remember I, does he he jumps really silly because he's handcuffed to his feet? I kind of remember that. Wait. Well, the funniest part is that yeah, like once sort of he he jumps out of the bus and he starts running. The train gets derailed and starts chasing him. Oh. But it becomes very clear that the train is almost like sentient. Uh, yeah, sentient and has a mind of its own. And so there's a scene where he hides. It behind a bush or a rock or something and he doesn't see the train and then you slowly see the train like peeking out of the tree. <laughs> see that is funny <laughs> and that is much funnier than I was recently watching clips of UHF which does the parody of Rangers Lost Ark and they do a similar mm. joke where the boulder keeps following w Weird Al and then he runs in front of a bunch of silly backgrounds where he's running in front of like uh, the, the Sphinx in Egypt yada yada and the mm. boulder just keeps following him it's much funnier to have the train uh, be like uh, anthropomorphized so yeah for all, anyone writing a, a Zucker Brothers style spoof comedy, there's a little lesson in comparison <laughs> for you. My first uh, uh, my first experience uh, with The Fugitive, also a parody. Um, uh, I watched The Fugitive for the first time on beautiful VHS. I did not see it in theaters. I was not old enough. Um <laughs> And I don't oh, know what six year old John was not allowed to go see the fugitive. <laughs> I just at that point, I was too. I just had not been my parents had not uh, broken it to me that some pharmaceutical executives are evil yet. So I just wasn't ready. Mm. I wasn't ready to be disillusioned with my love of big, big pharma. <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't. Yeah, six. I don't know. I just don't. I didn't see it. Um that's I, okay. I don't, I don't know if I would have trying to shame you. Well, I'm trying to. I don't remember if I would have asked. I, the first PG-13 movie I saw in the theaters was, I think, maybe Independence Day. Um, wow. But I also saw the first Mission Impossible in theaters, which was also PG-13. So, and what is that? Is that also is that 96? 
Oh, but so that's uh, a few years later. Mission those are, Impossible is 96. Those yeah. are both a few years later. So yeah, I wasn't going to see PG-13 movies yet. But what I did see in 1995, mm. um, and I think pretty shortly before I rented the movie, was I saw Who Shot Mr. Burns Part 2, the <laughs> Simpsons season premiere, and the uh, conclusion of the Who Shot Mr. Burns cliffhanger. And if you remember, a lot of that episode is a parody of The Fugitive, including um, a parody of the train crash scene. But in that case, it is... Uh, a crash, a crash where Chief Wiggum is attempting to get uh, food at a drive-through, um, and the car tips over because he's leaning too far to get his burger. And then I, I don't know if it's like Hans Molman or someone comes barreling in with their car, and Homer has to jump away, and everything <laughs> explodes comedically. Um, but yes, then shortly after I watched The Fugitive, it is definitely in my head as one of those like, uh, this is one of those first first adult movies that I watched as a kid, like a movie that is like made for adults, not porn. I was already watching tons of porn, um, <laughs> just nonstop. I would go to the back room of the theaters and I'd be like, please, sir. Can I get a big ass is 83? I was a Dickensian urchin asking for more porn. Um, but no, I remember uh, watching this as one of the first, those first like adult movies and um, really, really loving it. And I still love it. And it sadly feels much more adult than most big studio blockbusters released these days. Oh, of course. Yeah, it's like watching this movie, you're like, it. this movie is so simple. Like, mm-hmm. This movie is not, like, super complicated, but all the pieces fit in, all the pieces make sense, and I just found myself being like, why, why is this so hard? Why are movies like this not being made anymore? Um, yeah, it's... I don't know. It's always so frustrating watching a great movie from 30 years ago and being like, they figured it out then. Why can we not figure it out now? Why all we get is derivative garbage and franchise stuff? You know, and obviously this was not a new uh, IP. This was based on a TV show that you so eloquently described to us. And but it still felt maybe because, you know, a ton of time passed. Maybe it was unique enough in comparison to the original show. I would not know. But it's still, it was, it's smart. It's clever. You enjoy the characters. Um, yeah, it's like, I feel like it's such a perfect action movie. Obviously, one of the guys who wrote this wrote Die Hard. So I guess it's not super surprising. But I don't know. I guess it's like the classic they don't make them like this anymore kind of thing that I hate myself for saying. I feel like very like old man yells at cloud when I'm like that. But <laughs> yeah, it was it was at once a delight to watch, but also kind of frustrating to know that they don't really have movies like this anymore. Yeah, it's it's funny. Um you know, obviously we've already spoiled uh our feelings about the movie. Uh, we like it. Thumbs up. We like it. It's wonderful. So I guess this conversation 
This conversation can primarily be what makes this movie so good. What are uh, uh, current action movies um, missing? Uh, and it's interesting. I ne- I've never seen the 1960s uh, The Fugitive. But one thing I know about it is that one of its direct descendant is um, the Incredible Hulk TV show has a very similar setup of a man who's on the run going from town to town and helping people while being chased by the authorities. Uh, The big difference being in that one, he occasionally turns into the Hulk. Um, Wow. That's a spoiler, John. (laughs) I was going to see it. You ever watch the TV show, The Incredible Hulk? I don't think I have, actually. I have never seen either of these shows. Apologies (laughs) uh, to Lou Ferrigno, who is the the star of The uh, Fugitive, David Jansen. Apologies to both of them. Um, But I was watching this, and I was like, boy, let's say this was the Hulk. Um, Boy, would this not be uh, in any way improved by Harrison Ford's character, Dr. Richard Kimball, having superpowers. It would not be improved in any way. <laughs> and in fact, even to as a kid, one of my least favorite parts of this movie was one of the most famous moments, was the damn jump. Because even oh, as really? a kid, I'd be like, well, yeah, he'd be dead. He 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 died. Like the fact that he survives that million to one chance, just based on luck, always kind of like eh. Because everything else he escapes is based on his own cleverness. But um, like we could talk about like big blockbusters, and there are some good modern blockbusters. Um, some like uh, Dune Part Two will not be coming out till next year because the AMPTP Dune. refuses to just make a fucking deal. You fucking rich assholes just make a fucking deal and pay people. You've lost. Stop getting new PR firms. You fucking lost. Accept it and make a deal. Anyway, back to the conversation. <laughs> um, uh, uh, but we big blockbusters with huge CGI. The most exciting sequence to me in this movie is everything on St. Patrick's Day. I do not need a CGI skyscraper collapsing with amazing uh, physics uh, simulations showing how the glass on every different level will break in just a realistic photo real way while it collapses because that will not be as exciting to me as watching two middle-aged men run down a set of stairs. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of two things i think you're right sort of the way that scene is choreographed is very much leaning on non-cg things like tension and editing and you know like those kinds like more like old-timey crafts and also the cg building is never gonna look real Mm -hmm. i don't i refuse to believe that well at least like in current technology that we have I feel like there's nothing, maybe except for water and Avatar, there's nothing that looks like actually real in a CG shot, in my opinion. It's just like, you know, there's just some uh, ephemeral things that you can't even put into an algorithm in order to design it that happen when a natural thing occurs. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, so it just it feels like it can't truly be recreated. And me personally, I can never be, you know, you can be sort of reverent of the level of artistry that goes into visual effects, like, uh, you know, computer generated visual effects. But it's still, it never really, for me at least, it never, it's never as emotionally engaging when, like, when I see a computer doing a thing, as opposed to, you know, humans doing a thing. I I want to I want to clarify. This is not a anti uh, a, a visual effects screed because this movie actually has some incredible visual effects. They did crash a train for real. That's insane, yeah. and it is real. I mean, there's a difference but, between CGI and uh, visual. Well, that's I mean, but well, that's but like the compositing of the shot where Harrison Ford jumps away from the crash looks incredible, and I have been deeply deeply moved by characters that were entirely created by uh, by computer graphics um uh, i was joking about crashing buildings i've seen scenes with cgi buildings cra uh, collapsing which are incredible to look at i think the thing is and i say that all in full solidarity with the visual effects artists that are currently unionizing as they fucking should good luck Hooray. to all of them um but it's it's not the amount of visual effects, it's the use of them. Because, yes, Harrison Ford jumping away from that crash train looks very cool. And that silly little fake body falling down the dam still looks okay. It's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not the best effect of the movie, but it still looks pretty good. And you know what? This was 1993, the same year that a fucking T-Rex came through a downed electric fence and still looks incredible in Jurassic Park. So this isn't anti-visual effects, but the similarity between Jurassic Park and this movie is that those are both uh, big action spectacles that also have incredible characters. Incredible, well-defined characters who have fun, interesting dialogue and ha and explore interesting themes in the movie. Like, it's just, yeah, it's a guy who's just running away from the law. It's it's the si Hitchcock knew. It's just the the simplest, yeah. most instantly um, affecting plotline. A man who's been wrongfully accused, but. Beyond that, you know, uh, they knew that one of the highlights of the original show was that uh, Dr. Kimball um, will frequently choose to help people, even if it makes his escape harder. So we get that great scene where he saves the life of the little boy from a bus crash in the hospital with a... Young God, Julianne Moore. How old is she? She looks so young. I know. She also credited third or something crazy <laughs> like that if you look through is that true the, the end credits her name is very high up either second or or like third or fourth it's harrison ford tommy lee jones and then before joey uh, i Pants? think it's julianne moore i think so That's i don't well, know was... how that happened Shortcuts was uh, that year. Oh, and she'd been um, the couple's friend in The Hand That Rocks the Cradle the year before. Oh, of so, course, of course. Okay. 
So what did your I mean, pants do by that point? <laughs> well, I'd done fucking Risky Business, one of the best movies ever made. Said, never fuck with another... Uh, what, what is his line? In a down economy, never fuck with another man's livelihood. Great performance. Oh, I've never seen it. You've never seen Risky Business? I've never seen All Risky right, Business. All right, stop the podcast. We're going to sit down <laughs> and watch Risky Business. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like we have that scene where he saves that kid and it's... It's so well done. I love, I love her. Uh, the, the, it's a very small role, but I love her character. Uh, her gradually realizing something's fucked up. I love her uh, clear, clearly conflicted when she's helping Tommy Lee Jones. You know what? Mm-hmm. We're <laughs> we've spent more words talking about Neil Flynn and Julianne Moore. We should probably talk about the big two. Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones yeah. winning an Oscar for this movie. I know. I remember when I discovered that I was kind of upset because I was very into my Leo mania and I was like, how did Leonardo DiCaprio lose for playing a mentally challenged boy in the What's Eating Gilbert Grape? But then I saw this movie and I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> and also, it's so fun when it usually happens in the supporting categories where there's not like this is not an oscar bait performance like he's you know he's like doing some fun like chewing scenery sometimes Mm -hmm. he has a lot of quips but it's just a fun performance he's having a great time and the fact that you know the academy chose to acknowledge that is pretty dope i think yeah he is he is for me the highlight i think he because he has somewhat the more fun role i think so, uh, and Harrison Ford is wonderful as well. I'm not going to, you know, take away anything from Dr. Richard Kimball. But I think Tommy Lee Jones has the more fun role. And I'm always like any scene that he is on, anytime he like talks to Rose from Lost or whatever, <laughs> I was like, yay, this is, That's you know, more quips, know more from. fun. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. I was the whole movie. I'm like, where do I know her from? Of course. <laughs> was it Rose and Bernard? Was that the couple? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rose and Bernard. Uh, yeah, yeah. The actress you're, you're uh, mentioning is L. Scott Caldwell. Of course. Yeah. Rose on the TV series Lost. Ah. Um, what's funny, like, uh, you're talking about uh, uh, Tom Lee Jones, and he's excellent. Um, other, true, truly, truly excellent. So much so that they ridiculously brought him back for the sequel. Which, I mean, not ridiculous that they didn't bring back Richard Kimball. Like, what? Kimball's going to get accused from another crime? But it's very funny <laughs> to me that uh, that he gets brought back. I've seen U.S. Marshals, starring he and Wesley Snipes, but I saw it decades in the 90s, probably uh, right as it came out on video, I do not remember anything except that there's a scene where like Wesley Snipes swings down from a rooftop. Um, I vaguely <laughs> remember that. But like, I have to be curious. Does Gerard start questioning uh, the legal system after two movies of chasing innocent men? Um, I don't know. But he's great. Other people up for that uh, role, Gene Hackman and John Voight. Um... I, I think Gene Hackman could absolutely have pulled it off. Oh, Ge- yeah. Uh, nine- I don't know. John Voight is not fun to me, but maybe I'm just projecting just his politics. Yeah, I think it's it's mid-90s Mission Impossible John Voight. Yeah, no, I'm sure. I, I feel like he has a more... I've never seen him have fun. 
I guess, in a oh, movie, John Voight. Clearly, someone has not watched 1997's Anaconda. Yeah, I have not seen him. He's always been like All a right, very solemn. <laughs> <laughs> he's always had like a very, in the movies I have seen him in, he's always like soft spoken and solemn. Like, even in The National Treasure, he just whispers all the time, and he doesn't really... I don't know. So, but I could totally... I, I can I can fuck with some Gene Hackman, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. I, I feel like John Voight has a slightly... I mean, obviously not in Anaconda. He's a madman. But, like, like a... It feels weird to describe John Voight this way, but, like, almost a softer, friendlier vibe to him. Um, yeah. Like, I was thinking of, like, I'm trying to think of him being really determined, and I'm picturing, like, uh, young John Voight in, um... Coming Home? Uh, no, Deliverance. Or... Oh, I've never seen Deliverance either. All right, we got a lot of fun movies to watch. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know, but, yeah, like, the list of act, I can definitely see Gene Hackman. The list of actors that they considered oh, yeah. for Richard Kimball. I, you say this movie that the standout is Tommy Lee Jones. And yes, I think this might be a case of, to go back to our last episode, of yes, um, uh, Ryan Gosling is getting all the credit for Ken. And yes, that is the most fun role and he's incredible at it. But I don't want to discredit what like Margot Robbie's doing in the harder role of Barbie, I think the same thing. You look at the list no, of sure. actors who played, uh, who were considered for Richard Kimball. I don't think any of them, I don't think this movie is half of what it is with any of these actors. Um, Alec Baldwin. Young 90s Alec Baldwin. I think weird, mm. <laughs> weirdly, like, he's too handsome in a slick way. Yeah, he's too slick like mm -hmm. i recently watched hunt for red october and not for a second did i buy him as a cia analyst <laughs> now that is another role that harrison ford did oh, yeah. i think was to a better yeah, yeah yeah and so i think harrison ford was better as that and obviously you know harrison ford is doing the fugitive and not mm -hmm. alec baldwin so uh you've that's got, a fun connection you've got nick nolte Nick Nolte it, it mm. feels a little too gruff. That was like handsome Nick Nolte. I feel like we yeah. still only remembered the mugshot. It's not but mugshot Nick Nolte, be... sure. But like, oh, uh, yeah. people's sexiest man in some year, uh, I forget when. No, yeah, he was a handsome beast. But I I, just, <laughs> I think he's he's gruff. It's like, you know, when, like uh, a few years after 48 hours. When was the first 48 hours? Or or Cape Fear. I, love, I guess like I Love Fear Trouble. Be... Was that the, the, or the one he was in with Julia Roberts? The... No, that's uh, sleeping with the enemy. No, no. What's um, the what's the they tried? I to love bring trouble. Back... Is the one? Oh yeah, I love trouble. It's he and uh, Julie Roberts. I'm right. What is the Dan? It's Aykroyd a huge bomb. It was not a good movie. I haven't seen it. <laughs> what is the Dan Aykroyd movie that he directed? Is it nothing but trouble. Oh yes, yes. You're nothing okay, but trouble. Right. Sorry, I was confused. <laughs> uh, I love trouble was when they tried to bring back like uh, uh, '40s era screwball comedies. Um, yeah, with uh, he and Julia Roberts are bickering news reporters who get involved in a big uh, crime thing, and it was. Didn't a big they bomb. also get married? Wasn't she married to Nick Nolte? Am I making really? That up? I didn't know that. 
I mean, I know. Maybe, uh, maybe no. she actually hated him. <laughs> I'm, I'm not seeing that. Oh, yes. Yes. They famously hated each other on set. That's what it was. <laughs> oh, okay. That's what it is. Okay. In his personal <laughs> life, in his personal life, it is a list of all the, all the uh, women he dated and married and his children. And then there's just a separate thing that said he and Julie Roberts fucking hated each other. <laughs> wow. Married three times. Um, Four times. But yeah, so Nick Nolte, I can't see it. Uh, uh, Kevin Costner, I can't see him as a vascular surgeon. Yeah. I feel like... Maybe. I don't know. I feel like in, in JFK and The Untouchables, I feel like he kind of sold that nerdy badass pretty well. But I don't want nerdy badass. Like, I... But that's what... Richard Kimball is though he's kind of a nerdy badass well that I don't see that's I think the difference uh, who was the other one there was one more uh, Michael Douglas no 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 too sexy, too sexy. <laughs> no truly I think Michael Douglas I think sex I think someone's what? gonna fuck at least once well this is yeah I mean, Michael is Douglas early, well, especially yeah, in 90s. 93 I, I I don't know I didn't know if you were going for like your personal like uh your personal preference no I think or like, just, like this is like basic instinct Michael Douglas he's making movies yeah. where he fucks like that's what you're like he's fatal making attraction movies and where stuff. he fucks okay no but, that's, well, that's exactly what I well mean. no I agree I think I think the only person who, from that time period who could pull off he's a famous doctor he's also just an everyman but he can get into different area he can get into different like move through different uh, avenues of society and kind of cleverly find his way through and just like the like I'm thinking of the part at the end of the movie um, uh, he's chasing, uh, this is spoilers, the actual villain, uh, Dr. Nichols, um, uh, played by, uh, we should say his name, uh, Crabbe. Ron Crabbe. Mr. Crabbe. How do you pronounce that first name? Uh, Jerome? It's a Dutch name. Uh, J-E-R-O-E-M. I do not know. Apologies I, to the Yeah, Dutch. I sort of like, Jerome? Jerome, Jerome, Jerome. If it's Dutch, the J would be a yeah sound. I think. Doctor Charles Jerome? Nichols. <laughs> Yaron, Yaron, Yaron. That's Yaron? what I would think. Maybe Yaron. It doesn't matter. Um, uh, he's chasing Doctor Nichols, and they both fall through a window and end up on an elevator. Uh, Harrison Ford comes out, and he just looks so fucking tired. He looks so. <laughs> beat to shit and he throughout this movie he does and i think that is the thing that like that makes uh, the indiana jones character so great like the fact that he is believable both as an action hero but also like oh boy that dude's going through it it's what made yeah. john mcclane great until they turned him into an action uh, turned him into like a superhero in later movies right yeah no you're right i mean harrison ford is yeah this is like he it sort of like foreshadows also just his attitude about everything i feel like now i couldn't be bothered to do stuff as very much as vibe what? but this is back when he cared i think it's very so. funny in the Wikipedia. It says one of the reasons he took this role was uh because he could get to he could get to grow a beard 
Because apparently yeah. in most movies, he was not allowed to grow a beard because the uh, producers would be like, we're paying for Harrison Ford's face. Do not cover it with a beard. <laughs> I did not realize also how old he was then. I, for some reason, I always thought that he was younger uh, in the movie. And then I saw him run in this movie and he kind of runs like a grandpa. And I was like, how old is Harrison Ford in this? And he's in his 50s. He's in his Maybe 50s in like this? 50... Oh, yeah. Look yeah, he's that. like 51. Um, this, uh, this or maybe like 50 when they filmed it. He's probably. 81 now, and this movie's 30 years old. And so yeah. he was probably um, 50 or 49 when they filmed that. So, yeah, it's sort of... Uh, yeah, it's kind of also another fun thing that they have just like two middle-aged men as mm -hmm. leads. You know, this is, there's no sort of, you know, Chris Hemsworth types. There's no, you know, eye candy ladies who are just there to tell the lead how sexy and cool he is or whatnot. Uh, yeah, it's very much... Yeah, this is yeah. this I this I mean this is my personal preference. I prefer movies about regular people just getting the shit beaten out of them and continuing to like deal with their situations. And it's like, yeah, I love watching all the stuff with him um making his fake ID, watching the process of him investigating the one-armed man. All that stuff works. Um yeah, the movie just works. And it it is interesting watching the movie's take on, like, the legal system and stuff. One big change uh, from the TV show, uh, the one-armed man in the TV show was just a burglar. It was a failed burglary. This one, we have a conspiracy, which makes sense. We got to have an actual villain to beat up and make it personal. But also, in this one, he's an ex-cop. So I feel like the addition of that was another thing of, like, Hey, the legal system's not great, but yeah, we. I mean, that was the one thing that I was thinking of that we used to do was like, oh, this would not, you know, happen today if this movie was being made today. And I could not come up with a single thing. I feel like I don't know that there was anything in this movie that I felt like, ooh. Well, I think the handling of the no-knock raid uh, on the other uh, escaped fugitive uh, would probably be handled differently, particularly uh, um, the way, I mean... Yeah, the way that his partner also is kind of portrayed as sort of like a, a hysterical moment. <laughs> Well, no, I just mean, like, I think Gerard, it, it, the scene is, but Gerard's supposed to be brutal, is depicted as being brutal in that scene. And that's supposed to show how brutal an adversary he is. But yeah, like him, mm -hmm. him telling the screaming, uh, you know, girlfriend of the other fugitive, he shoots the fugitive dead. And then he just tells the screaming woman to shut up. Like, I don't know. I feel like just... The handling of a sequence where predominantly white police officers burst into a house where uh, black people are hiding and one of the, the a black man gets shot to death and the black woman is crying. I just feel like that scene would be handled with a little more delicacy. I don't think it necessarily yeah. aged poorly. Um, I just think, yeah, like you might choose a different way to show how uh, 
to show how uh, brutal, brutal and tough Gerard is. And right. like the fact that that whole sequence is just set up almost as a joke where Kimball gets picked up by a sexy lady on the street. Uh, that's a scene I never uh, did not remember. And it's just there for the trick when they have the call and say he's shacked up with some lady, but it's the other guy. Well, I think this was high on the uh, heels of Silence of the Lambs, where they had that famous mm. um, yeah. uh, edit bluff, too. Yeah. And I think that was kind of like, I remember maybe in the commentary or something, they were talking about how that was sort of a novel thing that they did back then. So maybe that was still sort of a trend of movies at the time trying to psych you out with those good point it's it's very similar and yeah i think all the set pieces are so well tied together the fact that the arrest where he thinks he's being arrested but it's the landlord's son but the landlord's son gives information to the police which leads to the next set piece it's a very very good movie yeah, someone had like cards placed and stuff, and they had all of the beats. Oh. <laughs> Think well, they outlined this? Yeah, it's 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 just great, and you could still make a movie like this. You could make a movie like this, and you should make a movie like this. You don't need yeah. your heroes to be superhuman; they can just be kind of smart. And if you need them to be superhuman, have them survive a. Crazy, ridiculous, damn jump. That's as far as you can take it. And I would argue maybe a little too far. But you're allowed one one supernatural thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's that's fair. It's all great. And I like that it starts with him already being arrested. I like the uh uh It's so economical, the way it mm-hmm. sets everything up. It's great. It's sort of like Shawshank Redemption in that way, where you kind of start with like him being in prison and kind of montage your way into the prison yeah, and in, into the meat of things. So I think they did it very economically too. I also personally really love the way this ends mm-hmm. where it's sort of them just like quietly sitting in a car and then you kind of just like pan out. I love a pan out. Well, yeah, uh, I like it's a, uh, um, uh, Oh my God. What's the, the word uh, when something on both sides, a book, um, Oh my god, I'm so stupid. Bookends? Bookend. It's bookended. In the beginning, he's being led out by police, and he's not in handcuffs, but they actually are arresting him. And at the end, he's being led out, and he is in handcuffs, but he's about to be released. Um, It's great. I do like that montage, but uh, that does lead to a lot of exposition in the last half hour to set up the whole Pravasic angle. But to be fair... To be fair, if that stuff had been in the beginning, it would have been so obvious who the culprits are. If for no reason at the beginning of this fugitive movie, they're like, by the way, that wonder drug is pretty great. Um, so, <laughs> look, uh, no complaints. It's a great movie. You got anything else to say about it? No, just watch it if you haven't. Hopefully we didn't spoil it for you if it's your first time. Honestly, <laughs> we spoiled who really the villain wonderful. is, but like it's still just on a moment to moment. It just works. It's just great. It still works. And I've seen this like 10 times. <laughs> well, should we grade it? All right. All right. Three, two, one. A. A. Yay. A. 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 All hey, right. Hey, hey. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I'm gonna be like this. Like, what else can you say? It's just fucking great. 
But I went, yeah, I went, it's really good. I'm so happy that you also liked it. I was for some reason concerned. I was are you kidding? Like, no, we actually. I was like, oh, this movie I really love. I hope John doesn't have bad things to say about. I, I'm not sure what episode it is, but in an episode we recorded last year. I say at some point, I realize that The Fugitive is 1993, and I say, oh my god, I hope we do an episode on it, because I love that movie and I want to rewatch it. Oh, uh, well, I yeah. don't listen to our podcast, so maybe that's what I missed it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Veronica, what else have you seen recently? Oh, John. Uh, what I've seen is uh, John Wilson of How To With John Wilson fame is programming a series of the anthology film archives that probably by the time you listen to this is going to be done. <laughs> but one of the movies that he uh, selected, which he talks about how it's a cautionary tale for him as a director, is Overnight. Have you seen Overnight? Oh, my God. Yes, I've seen Overnight. Yeah. I've never seen it. I always wanted to see it. But you, uh, you finally it was, saw it now? I finally saw it. Uh, a few days ago, and I really loved it. This it is, of course, really, the really what started as a making of DVD extra. Well, not DVD extra. Uh, just a making of featurette yeah, for Boondock Saints, right? Yeah. So it basically follows Troy Duffy, who at the time was 25 years old, <laughs> got a buffo deal from uh, the Weinstein's Miramax at the time uh, to both. Uh, who paid him like f over half a million dollars to write uh, to for a screenplay for the Boondock Saints as well as for directing it, and also for be buying a the bar that he worked at. Also with for him. his band to make the music for and for his stupid band uh, to write the music, The Brood, uh, later renamed the Boondock Saints. Um, and yeah, it's basically just uh chronicling the downfall of this pretty obnoxious self-absorbed man who um uh basically does not have any self-awareness uh about anything and thinks that the he deserves everything and ends up alienating everyone uh at the i remember I don't know what your history with the Boondock Saints is, but I remember when I first saw it in college, I was surprised by how bad it was because I had a lot of dudes that I knew who really liked the movie. And so I ended up watching it one at one time at like a sleepover and I was like, oh, this is really bad. And it's kind of. And then. Yeah, it, and it was kind of sort of validating <laughs> to be also like, oh, okay, yeah, this movie is bad. Yeah, I, I saw that for the first time uh, late in high school. Um, a buddy invited, two, I was hanging out with two friends, and one buddy was like, hey, you guys got to watch this movie. And he put on the Boondock Saints, and he's like, he's like, I love this movie. And my other friend and I, like, we knew he loved it. And so, like, we just, like, we're like, oh, it's that was an interesting performance from Willem Dafoe. <laughs> we just started like sinking further and further. And then eventually the dam just broke and we just started openly mocking it. And I still to this day remember my my other friend being like, well, I mean, 
some of it's pretty good. <laughs> like, like really expecting us to love it and we hated it so much. And for years, a Boondock Saints poster, now it's no, it's such a dated reference, but that's my go-to example <laughs> of like the biggest red flag. In fact, I made that joke the other day on Twitter <laughs> when uh, someone posted a screen cap of the Charlie Kirk podcast or video show or whatever and oh, he God. now has trump's mugshot as a poster on his wall and i i tweeted saying move over boondock saints poster there is now a new go-to wall decoration for assholes <laughs> um, no it's so true and now knowing what this guy is like it makes perfect sense uh so anyway so that was one thing i saw I also became obsessed with Bama Rush talk. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with Bama Rush, John? Only the concept. I have not watched uh, a bunch oh of... Oh my god. It is such a deep, rich text. <laughs> I, I, would, I would really recommend, uh, if you are at all curious, just like looking through some of these videos, there's a lot of rich themes about race and gender and beauty standards and class. It's amazing. There's a compilation by the sociologist who, uh, who yeah, who made the compilation of videos where she comments on them, sometimes just to make fun of them, you, but sometimes actually to kind of show a context. I did text that to you. Oh, Check I, it out. <laughs> I forgot we were doing a show. I, I was like, I was like, oh, <laughs> I have a link to that, right? The listener does not have a link to that. I apologize. I'll, I'll I link to that you, in the show notes. I should have let you say your full description because me confirming where a link is is not helpful to the listeners. <laughs> I will share the link. But anyway, as part of that, uh, I checked out the documentary on Max called Bama Rush mm -hmm. uh, about Bama Rush. It, I think it uh, chronicles last year's Rush season. And it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's not... It, to be honest, it's really not as good as the videos themselves if you were to see them mm -hmm. in sort of a chronological order where you sort of slowly gaining the insight into what you're seeing but it's still a pretty interesting snapshot of what it's like uh to try to rush and the level of effort that people put into it and also the history that it's not super pleasant a lot of times. For example, only 10 years ago, did the sororities get desegregated in the University of Alabama, which is pretty wild. Wait, what? Yeah. 10, so, 10 years a, ago? Yeah, like 2013. <laughs> 2013? Yep. So Maybe like 2012, year, but I think 2013. The year Francis yeah. Ha came out, they were still... Yeah, a year beginning with a two. Yeah. <laughs> That's fucking yeah, it's, insane. And you kind of find out about sort of the, the power of the Greek system in that college. It's pretty cool uh, if you're interested, but truly the talks are the best part. Uh, I also rewatched Mission Impossible 2, which, to be honest, was better than I remembered it. Mm. I remembered it as being boring, but now I kind of think of it as pretty silly and fun. It's like face-off, but with Tom Cruise. I wish it were more crazy because I wish John Woo lean, leaned into his tendencies slightly more, but it was more fun than I, I remembered. So still not nowhere near the best Mission Impossible movie, but way better than I remembered. Okay. 
Okay, well, um, what have I seen? Um, I'll, I'll try to keep this fast. Um, I saw the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with some uh, friends. It was lovely. The animation style is really cute. Um, yeah, it's fun. I it's thought, like a Seth Rogen thing, right? Yeah, I actually, the pacing of the first act was was off. I, I, the first act was a little rough. But then once it gets started, like once they meet April O'Neil and the story actually gets going, it was really fun. I think, um, yeah, if if you have kids, a, a, a great a great thing to watch with kids. Very fun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of kids, I rewatched the original Muppet movie. I went to a screening of the Muppet movie. It Aww, was it was it. fun. Um, uh, uh, I mean, it all holds up except for the Confederate flag that appears in a, uh, multiple times in a carnival scene. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I remember cringing at the same thing. Yeah. Um, I rewatched two movies that are still great: Shaun of the Dead, still great, still wonderful. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I rewatched a movie that just gets better and better each time I watch it. 1999's Cruel Intentions. Cruel Intentions yes. is so fucking good. The performances of everyone is so good. Everyone is in on the joke. Everyone knows how ridiculous adapting that storyline with teenagers is. But they're all having so much fun. Um, I watched it with uh, uh, my friend Rebecca. And next up, uh, she had never seen it. She loved it. <gasps> we are uh, next up going to watch. How old is she? How could she avoid it? I think she is 31. Okay, so she's sort of. I was it's, it's, in junior high when it came out, and I was obsessed. I saw it multiple times. Yeah, well, next we're going to give Wild Things a try, and I'm very curious to see how that holds oh, up. Oh, that one is not good. Uh, well, let's see. I'm curious to find out. Well, uh, stay tuned, listeners. Um, I watched for the first time. Somehow, I'd never seen it. Uh, continuing my trend with last time I, I'd watched The Vanishing, continuing my trend of watching movies with famous endings that had been spoiled for me decades ago that I'm now just finally watching, I watched the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and it's fucking mm. great. It's so fun. Uh, it's it's a great movie. Uh, you should watch it. Um, I've never seen it. I also watched uh, the Velvet Vampire. Uh, it's a, um, a, a vampire movie from the seventies. Um, it's pretty fun. Um, uh, and then I watched 1981's Final Exam, which is a slasher movie that is not very good. Um, but. Yeah, I did not. I did not realize. I had never seen this movie before. I did not realize how heavy an influence it was on the Scream franchise. Clearly, mm. Kevin Williamson had seen that movie a lot. Um, the character of Randy, Jamie Fox, uh, Jamie Fox, Jamie Kennedy's character from the Scream <laughs> franchise. Um, he is straight up a like direct parody of a parody uh, character uh, of a character, a parody of a character in um, final exam. He even has similar dialogue and the storyline with Jerry O'Connell, the fraternity pin hazing storyline where he gets tied up for giving Nev Campbell his pin. That is directly from the movie final exam. It is. Wow. I uh, had never seen this movie before. I did not realize the movie is, not particularly good, um, but if you are a Scream diehard, it is an interesting watch. Interesting. I am a diehard, but 
I feel like you're giving me a lot of conflicting information here. <laughs> you know, if you like watching 80s horror movies the same way I do, even when they're bad, um, it's not terrible. It's just like the movie, it's 81, so it's very early in the slasher craze. Uh, still early. It's like, it like, has no interest really in the slash. Like, we never find out who the killer is. I'm spoilers. He's just a guy who shows up and then kills people. <laughs> like, there's no interest in who he is whatsoever. Fine. Okay, fine. <laughs> but the movie forgets about him for a literal hour and is just a movie about uh, fraternity and sorority hazing stuff um, for just like Damn. a full hour. Also, everyone talks in this very smarmy tone. That Randy character I mentioned legitimately sounds all of his dialogue seems like it's from a character from uh, Noah Baumbach's uh, Kicking and Screaming. He feels like he's from a completely different movie. It's so weird. <laughs> Um, I think his character's name is Radish or something, which became Randy. Radish to Randy. Um, but, Randy. But yes, uh, final exam. Um, if you're choosing between that and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, choose Invasion of the Body Snatchers. <laughs> and definitely watch Cruel Attentions. Even if you haven't watched, if you've already seen it, rewatch it. It's great. It's so fucking good. It's so <laughs> fun. Maybe I'll go watch Cruel Intentions now. <laughs> Why not? No, you gotta watch Risky Business. You legitimately gotta watch Risky Business. It's an Anaconda and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Risky and Business first. <laughs> and Boondock Saints too. Oh God! Apparently there might be a third one. Oh, th that's, thank goodness. That's a shock. Well, that's bad news. But you want some good news, Veronica? Yeah. What's up? I think I'm gonna give the Fugitive five stars on Letterboxd. Yay! Look at that. Bookends! Bookends! <laughs> uh, All right. Well, until next time, John. Toot toot to you. Toot toot to you. Provasic! <laughs> I don't care! <laughs> <laughs> That's how that famous exchange goes, right? <laughs>